Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another good day. God, as always, we thank you for your word and for your truth that is within it. And Lord, we pray that as we, um, again, continue to look to your word, that it would draw closer to you. Thank you for this community, for this church that, that we all get to be a part of, Father. And we just, uh, our desire uh, is that you be leading us and guiding us uh, as we more and more learn what it means to, to love you with our whole being. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So there's a story um, where there was a gentleman who was quite distraught and wasn't sure what to do, and he really needed some counsel. And so he thought, well, you know, I mean, it's in the Bible. And um, so, Lord, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to flip open the Bible, and you just, like, I need to know what to do. And so this was his theological approach. I'm just going to randomly flip open the Bible, point to a verse, and just do whatever that does. So he grabs his Bible, flips it open, points to a verse, Matthew 27, 5, Judas went out and hung himself. Well, that's probably not what God meant to say, so we need to try this again, because perhaps he wasn't listening the first time, and so he did it again, and flips open his Bible and points to a verse, Luke ten thirty seven. go and do likewise. Now, arguably, that's not even a good joke, right? Like, I, I appreciate the, the laughter, but you didn't have to. Um... And arguably, it's probably not even an appropriate joke anymore. Um, But it highlights that there are certain verses, certain scriptures, where if we take them in isolation, at the least they're confusing, but at the greatest they're actually quite dangerous. Because there are certain topics where we need the whole counsel of scripture to speak into that and and help us understand what's going on. And in today's passage, we have to do that. We have to wrestle through that. So we're in we're we're just walking through the book of Luke. Um, today we're in chapter 14. This is just the the next section. Um, and really the theme is being a disciple of Jesus and what that looks like and how we how we kind of grow in, in our love and be a fully devoted, you know, follower, Christ-centered individual. But before we can get to that, Jesus says some things where if we just take it in isolation, it's, it's, it's yeah, like we got to unpack that a little bit. Um, Carlin Weinhauer used to tell me, he mentored me for a couple years, and, uh, he, you know, preach exegetically, preach exegetically, because one, it forces you to have a balanced diet and, and just talk about the things you love to talk about and talk about the things you don't want to talk about. Um, but even on, on weekends like this, where there, there's just this, this neat alignment between what, what you're talking about and perhaps what's going on in the church. Like, you really don't get the credit or the blame for that. Um, last week, J.L. Martin was here, and in small group, he talked about, you know, raising our kids to love and follow Jesus and what that looks like. And the leadership board right now is looking at a book on, on what does it look like to help everyone here grow into becoming Christ-centered individuals. And so I love it when there's this correlation between what's going on in the church and our next section in scripture that 
none of us were clever enough to orchestrate, right? And so we say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for arranging that together. So um, that's what we're looking at today. Um, so I'm going to read this passage to you, and you'll pick up right away, kind of like the hard part that we're, that we're going to have to work through and unpack a little bit. But I am in Luke, I'm in chapter 14, and I'm in verse 25, and I'm going to go up to verse 33. Um, so let me, let me read this to you. Uh, now great crowds accompanied him, um, and he turned to them and said, all right, so uh, just as a little bit of a backdrop, I believe at this point, like, Jesus is doing kind of his, his final march into Jerusalem, and he's doing a lot of teaching on the way. He's become, become quite popular. Large crowds are following him. Earlier, we read that, like, they were actually trampling each other. So I'm not sure how many hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands you've got to get to, but large crowds are following him. So he turns around and he says this to the crowds. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So that's the part we got to unpack. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, And then he's going to give two examples. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who is coming against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So let's start at the beginning. Okay, let's start at the first part of that. Great crowds uh, accompanied him. He turned to them and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So right off the bat, that seems odd. Right? Like you've probably read enough of your Bible to go, hmm, that seems inconsistent. Right? Um, Because we have so many other scriptures that tell us to love our wives and to love our kids and to honor our, our father and mother. And there's, I mean... Even the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, to a certain degree, presumes that you love yourself a little bit, right? So, so here's kind of the first question mark, is what do you do with this when Jesus is calling us to hate all these people when all these other verses tell us to love these people, right? Um, so uh, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That, we could unpack that for a couple Sundays. Gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Proverbs, he who finds a, good, uh, finds a wife finds a good thing, obtains favor from the Lord. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Husbands, in the, now I'm in First Peter, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, right? I got a whole bunch of other verses for time, I'm going to skip them. Love your kids, Psalm 127, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, the, the womb a reward. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 1 Timothy, uh, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith. faith, worse than an unbeliever. Lots of other verses, not going to cover them. Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long. Repeat it again in Exodus and repeat it again in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Again, more verses. So really kind of the first... I will call it a question mark. You could call it other things. The first question mark is dealing with this passage is what do you do when Jesus says hate, but all the other verses say love, honor, support, care for, provide, all this other kind of stuff. Here's the second kind of um, uh, friction point or question mark or or thing that, that perhaps helps us in understanding of this. Matthew appears to have recorded the same event. Um, and, and so in Matthew ten thirty four, this is how Matthew records it. Um, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. We'll unpack that briefly. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds, uh, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. One commentary described it like this. Luke gives us a word-for-word record of what Jesus said. Matthew gives us a thought-for-thought record of what Jesus said. Now, this is actually kind of a common um, almost dilemma or situation in translations, Um, and I've used this example in the past. Um, When you... um, If you were to translate to another language, right, if you can speak another language, and you wanted to, to translate the phrase, it was raining cats and dogs outside. Do you translate that and say, like, you know, a German shepherd fell out of the sky, and then a Siamese cat, and then just like a whole bunch of kittens, you know, like small animals fell out of the sky? Or do you say, it was raining really, really hard? Right? Because the idea that you're trying to convey is that it was raining really, really hard, right? So if you want to go word for word, you say animals fell from the clouds. If you want to go thought for thought, you say it was raining really hard. NIV is a great thought for thought translation. And so it reads really smooth. It's a great translation. ESV is a great word for word translation. Sometimes it's a little bumpier, but it gives you the the word for word. Which one's better? Meh, depends, okay? Um, But so it's really not that uncommon or unusual for Luke to give us word for word and Matthew to give us thought for thought on on what's going on here. Matthew does not record Jesus telling us to hate our families. He says that we should love Jesus more 
than our families, or that we should love our families less than we love Jesus. Luke uses the word hate. When we think of hate, we think of just pure emotional, like, spite and rage and anger and contempt and, and, and disgust and loathing. To approach our families with that spirit of, like, rage and contempt and disgust and loathing is profoundly inconsistent with other scriptures, right? But when Matthew tells us is that when Jesus is saying hate, what we can mean that to be is that I want you to love love less. It's a comparative statement, not like this absolute emotional statement. It's a comparative statement. Jesus is saying, I want your love to me to be so fierce and so radical that by comparison, it would almost appear as if you, you know, hate your, hate your family, right? Or just, I just want you to love them less than me. So, did Jesus say, hate your wives and kids? Technically, yes. But, not in the way that our culture understands the word hate. The way that our culture understands hate is not a comparative statement. It's just this absolute kind of like rage statement. So why does Matthew tell us this, right? Um, why, or actually, no, I'm sorry. Why would Jesus tell this? Uh, a couple things. What, and part of it's covered in Matthew's account where I believe that Matthew is giving us a warning. And I, we, we won't unpack this a lot, but I, I do just want to mention it. When you choose Jesus... It is possible, hopefully this won't happen, but it is possible that those closest to you, including your own family even, will reject Jesus so hard that in doing so that they reject you as well. Now, I would offer that that's not super prevalent in our culture. We, we've seen and heard reports of, of other cultures. Um, I mean, there are there are cultures and there are religions um, where if a child or, or a wife chooses Jesus, the child, I mean, the, the family will kick them out of the house immediately, right? We were talking about this in youth group on Wednesday. We were reviewing this, and I told them, I said, look, if we were in a different setting in the world, like, this would be a Bible study of homeless kids. Because in choosing to come to youth group, like, your family kicked you out of the house, and so now we've got 25 to 30 homeless kids, and a large part of what we're doing, besides teaching you the Bible, is simply trying to find housing for all of you. And so, like, th- this is a reality in, in other parts of, of the world. So I think that's the primary reason. But here's, a, here's another reason that, that I think, and I think this just reviews, reveals just the beauty and the wonder of God and, and the blessing that, that comes from doing, God, doing things God's way. Here's what I observed. Multiple other authors have said this. You have heard this and and, and taught this before, and just kind of hang with me as I unpack this here. When mom and dad prioritize marriage, when mom and dad prioritize each other, the entire family actually thrives under that, including the kids. Like, that actually creates a very healthy place for the kids. When mom and dad prioritize career when they prioritize the kids themselves, when they prioritize a hobby, 
right? Like when they prioritize something other than each other, then actually the family suffers, right? So here's another way of saying this. And it, it, yeah, when you prioritize your marriage over your kids, that's actually the healthiest thing for the kids, right? When, when you, but when you prioritize the kids over the marriage, then actually everything suffers. So expand that a little bit. When you prioritize Christ first, the marriage thrives and the kids thrive, right? Like when everything's kind of put in, in due order, right? Like when you put Christ first, the marriage thrives, and then from that your kids thrive. But if you reverse that or inverse, inverse it, then it gets unhealthy. The two parables. Jesus gives two parables. He talks about building a tower and, and not completing it. And he talks about a king going to war and the king deliberating whether or not he has enough soldiers. And then he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Lordship of Jesus Christ means Lord is everything. Right? And I've sometimes said, you know, like, I can remember the day where I was saved. You know, like the, the moment of salvation. But that process of Jesus truly becoming Lord in every area of my life, like that is a journey I will be on until I die, right? Like just that continual surrender. And as you progress more and more, you're like, oh, and I didn't even realize about this. And oh, I didn't even realize about that, right? Lordship of Jesus Christ, more important than career, more important families, he, he, more important than, than, than money, land, house, anything, most important thing. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to hold all of that with an open hand. Because as Matthew warned us, it may be that family denies you. And we've got enough other stories, right? If you follow Jesus, it may cost you a job. If you follow Jesus, it may cost you land or a career or finances. I mean, not that long ago, we saw, I mean, you know, in the withdrawal out of Afghanistan and, and all of these Christians, like literally some having to leave everything behind to flee the country and others deciding, no, we're staying in country, knowing very well that it may cost us our lives, right? And so this, and it's just being able and willing to hold that with an open hand and say, if I keep it, if I keep it, but if I don't, you know what? So long as this advances God's kingdom, I'm okay with it. So just that open-handed approach. I think one of the most important questions, though, is how. Um, how do we get to this kind of um, uh, commitment? How do we get to, to this level of just loving Jesus as, as Lord and Savior? Uh, the first thing I, I would put to you is, I think it, it's so helpful and, and maybe even critical um, in growing in, into Christ-centered individuals is to have someone who inspires us. Now, sometimes that is a person. Sometimes we can name someone. We, we remember an individual or a mentor or, or, or something like that where we look at someone and we're like, wow, you know, I'm just there. How they did life and how they love the Lord, like that inspired me. But I also think this is where biographies can be so helpful. Right In reading the stories of men and women who, it, it's not so much that they did great things, it's that they were so prepared to give up so much 
in, in their pursuit of Christ and of, and of his kingdom, to have that kind of inspiration in our lives, that, that vision of what could be in our own lives is so powerful. But here's the second thing, and this is um, tying in with, the, with this book that, that we're looking at with, with leadership team, but around Christian community. Um, so there's a book that, that we're looking at and, and just, you know, want to have some discussions on kind of what to do with this. But uh, there was a group of people back in, in 07, they did a big study on how, how people uh, grow in their spiritual maturity. And so they surveyed, like, a lot of people in a few, like, half-dozen churches and that kind of thing. And then they got, you know, some of their initial results. But then the people who did that spent, like, the last 15, 20 years surveying, like, another thousand churches and, and all that, right? And there's, there's a whole scientific thing on how you do surveys and whatever else. So they, they, they did all these surveys, surveyed, like, another thousand churches. And they, they established four levels or, or categories, right? This is kind of how they broke them down. People who are exploring Christianity, people who are growing in Christ, close to Christ, and Christ-centered. And they, they've got a way to, like, whatever, chart this, okay? But here's where I find it so fascinating is because they asked, how do you help people along that journey? Like, like how, do you, how do you help someone going from exploring Christianity, wondering about it, kind of checking it out. Like, how do you help move them on to being a Christ-centered individual? Using these, these categories, you know, kind of between the movements. Movement one, they, they, in all their surveys, um, helping people find a way to serve in the church. The weekend service, this is the, the most important time for the weekend service. And participation in small groups. Those were the most significant things in kind of that first transition. Second transition, helping people serve those in need through the church, right? Serving people in the community, but the church kind of served as like, I'm not quite sure the right word, right? But just kind of helping people find service areas in the community. That was number one. Number two then was serving in the church. Number three was the small group. And then it was the weekend service. Um, and then, uh, and then there were some other things as well, too. The third movement was continuing to serve, um, serve like through the church and also, um, personal spiritual practices was a large one. And there's other stuff like they talked about, like there's even a progression in spiritual beliefs and attitudes, um, you know, spiritual activities, you know, with other things. The, the personal spiritual practices was huge, like no one really advanced without that. Um, reflecting on scripture was the most consistent thing throughout all of it. So my desire for you is that all of you grow and mature into Christ-centered disciples, right? Well, what I find fascinating about this is that if this is true, and if this applies to us, and if this works here as well too, like we have some rethinking to do on how we do church ministries, and how, how we organize stuff, right? Like, we have a rich, rich culture of serving in the church, of Sunday attendance, um, and even of small groups. But I look at this and go, okay, how do, we, how do we help everyone get into a small group? How do we help facilitate other service, you know, and volunteering in the community and the outreach and that kind of thing? How do we emphasize and encourage and celebrate, you know, those personal spiritual practices and, and disciplines? And in all of this, 
we never want to confuse the goal with the method of getting there, right? The goal is not actually more small groups. And the goal actually, hang with me here, the goal is actually not for you to read your Bible more, okay? The goal is a church full of Christ-centered individuals, people who love Jesus and follow Jesus. The method of getting there, service opportunities, reflecting on Scripture, reading our Bibles, small groups, that kind of thing. Jesus spoke some hard words. And with our kind of cultural bias or our cultural understanding of the word, especially around the word hate, like that, that can be a hard one for us to understand. And that can be confusing for us. But, thankfully, Jesus also gave us other scriptures to help us understand the hard words and the hard comments better so that we can understand what he was, what he was trying to say. And our love for Jesus is to be so strong that everything else pales by comparison. Everything else pales by comparison. The end goal in this is not hate, right? It's not even Bible reading. It's not even church attendance, right? The goal in all of this is to love Jesus more, right? To become Christ-centered people. And I think even for us, to be a church, to become a church, be a church, become a church, that spurs one another on, to being Christ-centered individuals like that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, even the hard parts, where we first read it and we go, I don't get that. That seems hard or odd. God, thank you for the full counsel of Scripture, that we can use Scripture to interpret Scripture and Scripture to, to help understand the, the hard parts. But Lord, thank you that, that the focus is not actually the hard parts. The focus is... What does it mean to be a Christ-centered disciple of Jesus Christ? Lord, a Christ-centered individual and, and someone who puts you first above all things. Lord, may we honestly evaluate the cost, but then, Lord, may we wholeheartedly jump into that with complete abandonment. We love you. We worship you. We're so very grateful. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.